0: What a text, right? What is going on here? This is the Jesus that oftentimes makes us kind of squirm, isn't it? These, these uh, words of Jesus that are so stark and clear and scary, right? I think for us to understand what's happening here, we need a little bit of context. Brief overview. Last week in Mark's Gospel, we had the story of the the disciples arguing who would be the greatest among them. They were arguing along the road, and and Jesus has to correct them, he has to teach them, he has to say, you're getting it all wrong. Whoever would be the greatest among you must be blank of all. Servant of all. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you have to be a servant. You have to be humble. You have to be lowly. You, You need to understand that's your life calling. And in the midst of that scene... Um, we're told that a child comes to Jesus, a toddler, sits on his lap, and he points to the child as the example of what they need to be like. You must be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, vulnerable and open and meek. Don't worry about your greatness. So it's in that context that we pick up today, and we have no reason to believe that the child has left the lap of Jesus. We're in the same. We're in the same scene in the story, and so Jesus has just corrected the disciples, and then we get this scene for today. And I can just picture it. Right here comes John. Direct <sighs> your Jesus, um, Jesus. You won't believe it. Look, there they are. <laughs> they didn't get the memo. They are not approved. They don't have the stamp of your approval, Jesus. And they're doing things, good things, in your name. Um, If you want me, Jesus, I'll go right over there and I'll tell them who's boss. You want me to do that, Jesus? Right? Because I'm a part of the inner circle, your inner circle. And it feels really good to be in the inner circle. And those people, how dare they? Right, Shirley? We should get Bill and we should go over there and tell them who's boss. And Jesus, oh, with the child in his lap, I imagine, this is me, I imagine Jesus is just like kind of talking to the kid, just shaking his head, and and he's speaking to the child, but really to John, and he's like, John is a really big dummy, isn't he? Yeah, John is a really big dummy. Jesus says, oh, you're missing the point again. Are they doing a good thing? Are they casting out demons? Well, yeah. Well, then what's the big deal? Leave them alone. And Jesus here offers this harsh, stark, clear message, doesn't he? He uses harsh language. Now, if we wanted to take this text very literally, then I think there wouldn't be a person in here that would not have two hands and two feet and two eyes, right? If he really wanted us to just whack it off, we'd all be in a world of hurt. But the point is clear. The disciples are so focused externally at other people's behavior, their perceived sin of them, which actually isn't sin at all. They're doing something Jesus says, let them continue. They're doing a good thing. But the disciples are so focused on other people that Jesus invites them into introspection to do the internal work of focusing on their own lives and their own sin. Jesus turns their attention inward. And I think that this is one of the greatest sins that the church corporately continues to perpetuate in the world, isn't it? There's a reason that people of the Christian faith are known by others as being judgmental or hypocritical And I think it has to do with this reality that we're so consumed and concerned with other people's activity that we fail to see our own brokenness, our own sin. We fail to see the ways that our own lives are not wholly reflecting the love of God in the world, right? Jesus teaches about this through other passages as well. Remove the plank in your own eye before you try to take the speck out of somebody else's. You see, I think the great wisdom that Jesus is trying to impart on his disciples and that I want us to focus on here today is this. The Holy Spirit and the transformative power of God's love first has to be something that works within our own lives before we're equipped and capable of helping even our spouses or our friends uncover the brokenness in their lives. And the question for us today is this. Are we, are we honoring God with every aspect of our lives? Now, before I go any further, I want to make something clear. Our salvation is secure, right? Your salvation is secure because while you and while I were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the beauty of the gospel. Our salvation is worked out. So when I ask the question, are we honoring God with every aspect of our lives, I don't ask that question to put pressure or to put weight on your shoulders, and I don't want you to hear that as you need to save yourself. You need to become perfect for God's love to be available to you. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that in our sin and in our brokenness, Christ died on the cross and was raised three days later, and all God's people say amen to that. Amen. But when I think about preaching, there are often two types of sermons, at least for me because I'm a simple guy. There are sermons that seek to to offer um, a window into God's character. That God is forgiving, God is loving, God is redeeming. God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. There are sermons that direct our attention to God's activity in our lives and in our world, and that is always grace. And then there are sermons that are focused on how we live in response to who God is. Right? We need those sermons. We need to be reminded that our living and our loving and how we do that really matters in the world because there are lots of people in our lives and in our world whose only window into the heart of God is your life. Their only picture story of what God looks like is how we love and treat other people in this world. And so how we live and how we love, it matters, not for our salvation, but it matters because it's a witness, either good or bad. And so are we honoring God with every aspect of our lives? And now every person in this room, we are in this together and we can honestly answer that with, well... No. Right. Nod your head. Nod your head. Nod your head. <laughs> Nod your head. No. We don't. We fall short. And so should we just give up? Should we just say, well, you know, Sunday morning, check. Got it. Um this area, ah, grey. This area, ah, let's not go there. No. We want to pursue righteousness. We want to pursue God. We want God's love and life and spirit to reflect out in all areas of our life. Not to earn salvation again, but to be a witness. And one of these areas that I am convinced we struggle with, all of us, because we live in North America, because we live in this beautiful country of opportunity, opportunity, of wealth and resources. One of these areas has to do with our financial resources. We all struggle, right? Value. Value. So today, to kick off our one campaign, as we look at living one life, Over the next few weeks, we will have different sermons that seek to encourage us and inspire us and inform us about the work God has given us to do as we lead up to October 20th and 21st where we make a one-year commitment to support all the ministry at Prince of Peace. I want to begin that journey with just opening up a short story from my own life about a time when I felt like Jesus cut off my hand. And at the time, it was a little painful, but I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that Jesus exposed my sin. The year was 2006, and in just a few short weeks, I would be deploying to Iraq as a soldier in the United States Army. And now I was 20 years old, so you can do the math on how old I am. I was 20 years old at the time, And I did what any 20-year-old would do. A couple weeks away till I'm deployed to Iraq, I invited my buddies uh, from the fraternity house over to my apartment, and I said, you know what, guys? The pizza and the beer tonight, they're on me. And we had one last pizza and beer evening, and it was awesome. Monday morning rolls around. I get a phone call. It's Fifth Third Bank. Excuse me, Mr. Flad? Yeah? You've overdrawn your bank account by $20 and X amount of cents. What? What's that mean? I've overdrawn my bank account. I'm 20 years old. Um, You have insufficient funds. You spent more money than you actually had. I'm like, so what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, according to the type of checking account you have, you've been assigned a $50 charge. So now you're not just $20 in the hole, you're $70 in the hole. And I'm thinking, what? How is this possible? I thought I had money in there. I don't have money in there. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Here I am, a soldier, ready to go to war, and I can't manage my own money. And so I do what what any strong and and bright young soldier would do. I call mom. (laughs) And I said, Mom, I've made a boo-boo. Mama, can I borrow $70? And I overdrew my account. And and so I have to drive from Columbus to the suburbs and to Reynoldsburg to get the $70 and go to the bank and my debt wiped clean. Well, when I was in Iraq, that, that little thing that had happened really kind of motivated me to save some money. And so during my whole deployment, I saved every dime. Every dime, except for $5 for a haircut every other week to get it looking, because you've got to look good when you're in war. you know, And, um, and I, I saved all that money. And so when I came home from my deployment in Iraq, I came home, I turned 21 and 22 there. I came home 22 years old with $36,000 in the bank. And that's a lot of money for a 22-year-old. That's not a lot of money for a year and a half in combat. Just put that out there. (laughs) All right? And I told myself, as I uh, enrolled back at Ohio State to finish my college career, I told myself that, man, I deserved to spend a little bit of that on me. Right? Right? Worked hard. Escaped death. So I uh, I bought a whole new wardrobe. Bought all these new clothes. Spent a couple thousand dollars on clothes. Right? And I decided, you know, I'm of age now. <sighs> no more natty light. I mean, I can upgrade to bud light. <laughs> right? And I started eating out more, and I started spending some of that money. And then um, Black Friday rolled around that year. Black Friday. And... And I had never been Black Friday shopping, but I called my mom. I'm like, Mom, we're going Black Friday shopping. I want a flat screen TV. This was 2007. They weren't like $80 at Walmart then, they were expensive. And, and I had my eye on this one at Walmart. So we got out there in line, 4.30 in the morning. I knew the Samsung model I wanted. I wanted it to be 50 inches. And I waited out there, my mom and I together. It was a lot of fun. And I ran into the store, Black Friday morning, and I got one of the TVs. They had eight of them. I put it on the cart and I bought it. I paid, I paid it all right there, $1,500 for a flat screen TV so I could take it to my apartment at Ohio State. And I (laughs) drove over to my apartment and I set it up and I plugged it in. And I didn't have cable, so I put a DVD in and I sat there and it was like, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. And then after Black Friday came and went, it was December and it was time to do Christmas shopping. And I bought my mom and dad a gift. And then I I, I was driving one day and I was thinking, what am I going to get my sister? And I went over to her apartment. Now, my sister's life at that time, she was a single mom, 23 years old, of two children. The boyfriend, the father of her second child, Jalen, had just gone to prison for abusing my sister. My sister was struggling in her life to feed two kids. My sister then and still works at a daycare, hourly employee, And I remember going over to her apartment and I visited with my niece and nephew and it was really one of our first times of reconnecting and and talking and, and sharing. And I remember going over to her refrigerator. My sister said, do you want a pop? Do you want something to drink? And I remember opening it up and there was like one little pack of deli meat and a couple cans of Coke. And I shut the fridge and we visited and I said goodbye and I'm driving away from her apartment and a song comes on the radio, and I wish I knew what song it was. I was listening to the Christian radio station, and I felt like Jesus was stretching out my arm and sharpening his knife. I felt so convicted. What was it about me that could easily justify a 50-inch Samsung TV for myself, and yet I had honestly been debating whether $25 was enough, and a fifty was too much for my sister. And that honestly. And so I turned the car around, I drove back to Ohio State. I didn't cut off my hand, but I did unplug the cord and I reboxed the TV up, and I drove to Walmart and I returned it. And that Christmas I gave my sister a check for fifteen hundred dollars. I don't share that story to say I'm some kind of hero. I'm not. (laughs) But that was my first opportunity or response, rather, to living a selfless, generous, grateful life. And I don't regret it at all. And that one experience that Christmas showed me that living generously, putting others' needs above my own, it actually is really rewarding. It actually feels really good. It feels really good. And I learned not just the worth, but the value of money. The value of money. I want to live one life. I want my wallet and my words and my head and my heart and my hands to serve Jesus. And I'm aware that I am imperfect and I am broken and I mess it up often. But yet that, that is true north. That is true north. Amen.